Hi, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to a special edition of LPO Offstage that we recorded back in 2021. This episode delves into the experiences of three of the many LPO musicians who have come to the UK from different countries around the world. Today, it's the Netherlands, China and Australia. Come on in. Hi, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage, the podcast that takes you into the world of the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today, we're finding out what it's like to come to work in the UK as a musician. How do you fit in? How does London compare to other parts of the world when it comes to making music? I'm joined by violinists Yang Zhang and Ninka Hilkemer and bass player Hugh Kluger. Welcome back, Hugh, and great to have you here, Yang and Ninka. Hi. Hey, Hi. How are you going? Well, I need to start at the beginning just to get a little bit of an idea of where you were, what made you want to come to the UK and eventually join the LPO. Ninka, can you give us a taste of that journey? Well, I was studying in the Holland, in The Hague, and in the holidays I often went to uh, holiday camps, orchestral camps or uh, chamber music courses. And I met my now husband there in Germany and we started traveling to see each other for the following two years. And then I reached the end of my studies in Netherlands and thought, well, it would be wonderful maybe to go and do a postgraduate in London. So I did auditions and got a place in the Guildhall, did a postgraduate there. And that's how I ended up in London. Um, Hugh, I remember you telling me about your playing in so many different orchestras in Australia. What led you to come to the LPO? When I grew up, half of the recordings that I owned were from London orchestras, whether it was London Philharmonic or the London Symphony Orchestra or any of the others. And not that I specifically said I want to join a London orchestra, but I knew that they were amongst the best in the world. And just was a thing of circumstance really that my teacher in Sydney happened to do an exchange program and a girl from the UK came over and learnt with him and she went back to the UK and got a job and then when there was another audition in her orchestra she said to my teacher oh is there anyone who's interested in coming over and he just kind of pushed me to go and audition and so I came over and I auditioned and then all of a sudden I started working in the UK doing trials all over the place and one of those trials was the London Philharmonic Orchestra and I was lucky to get the job. That's brilliant and I mean that journey from Australia to London did you know that it was going to be a place where you'd move to and sort of stay or was it an experiment what were you thinking when you were coming over for the first time? I wasn't thinking at all. It was just <laughs> another audition. As as a young musician looking for a job in an orchestra, I, at least I was willing to try out for a job anywhere. And the UK was just one of the places that I came and they spoke English and I kind of knew stylistically how people played because my teacher yeah. was from the UK originally. And so I gave it a go and I ended up loving it and staying. And Yang, your story starts in China. How yeah. did it grow and bring you to this fantastic orchestra? I studied in Shanghai Conservatoire when I met my, now my husband now, and he, he was a cellist. Mm. And he got the scholarship come to London. We were part for a year and, uh, you know, we miss each other. I have no planning to go anywhere. I was still in university in Shanghai. A year later, so I got scholarship to in study in London as well. So 
So it took me a long time to, you know, it's so different from China and the, the music world is still quite different. Mm. You know, the mentality, the study, the style, everything. So it took me quite a long time to get used to it. Luckily, I, I met a great teacher here and, uh, you know, London is such a, a wonderful place to explore your, your music ideas and see different, you know, people playing. Every week you see different concerts which is in China, is, at that time, is not possible. But uh, I started a trial with several different orchestras in London. So LPO is the first, you know, first job for me. Amazing. So I'm glad they offered me, you know, as a non-experienced, really, yes, <laughs> player. Yes. So it was, it was a, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, so far, I'm very happy. It's brilliant. And so I'm hearing, you know, music was the driver, really, as well as a little bit of romance. I love that uh, there's uh, marriage and the partners involved as well. Um, But but music really is is the driver. And um, I'm interested, actually, in the comparison to home, where where you've come from. Um, You sort of alluded to that a little bit there, Yang, in terms of how music is practiced in China versus here in Mm. London. What is it like in the Netherlands? The idea of the practice, uh, the work ethic, is it very different to orchestras here? Yes and no. I mean, of course, we have great orchestras as well in in the Netherlands, the Concertgebouw and lots of other orchestras. I think the biggest difference would be the pace. Mm. We might do in one week two concerts with totally different repertoire, so eight different pieces. And then off to recording sessions in Abbey Road on the Sunday and or off to a tour and coming back and straight on to a next concert. These kind of things do not happen like that <laughs> in Holland and are not allowed either. There are much more like strict rules of how much rest the players would have after a, a tour or... It's both really exciting and sometimes a bit exhausting. (laughs) And Hugh, I've read some uh, interviews from you before and you've said that that fast pace of the orchestra here in London actually attracted you to the job a little bit more. Um, Can you tell me a bit more about what you like about that? It definitely did. I really like playing music. And so if you really like playing music, a London orchestra is the place to be. We do so much of it. As Ninka said, it's intense and the turnover is huge. And in Australia, I would say to generalise greatly that there's a lot more conservative programming. You might play Tchaikovsky 5, you might play Beethoven 5, you might play Mahler 5 in a year. And then next year you might play Tchaikovsky 4 and Mahler 4. And, you know, and that's, and those those might be your big kind of events in the year that you do. Whereas in in the LPO, we might do one of those in a week and then we might move to a more obscure symphony the next week. And in Australia, there's a quite a focus on commercial, what I would call commercial type concerts where you might play along with a movie behind you and that might be, you might do four concerts of that in one week. And um, mm-hmm. that was, that's all well and good and it makes an orchestra lots of money, which is really good. But it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. I was more listening to recordings of the LPO with Tenstead or Schulte doing Mahler and Wagner and Brahms and Strauss rather than watching commercial movies and wanting to play along with them. And so, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, that really got me excited. You know, it's not like anywhere, like in London, you play anything. Like some, sometimes it's, uh, you think, even for us, sitting on the stage, it's like a big noise. It's, what's this? But uh, it's, uh, you see how the audience loves it. 
<laughs> it's amazing in London audience. You have a the different audience, type yeah. of audience. Yeah, big audience. And sometimes on the on the way, you know, after the concert, you you met some audience and oh, are you, you just played on stage. Yeah, I love it. And so what you love it? <laughs> it is interesting, you know. Some repertoires they they just love it. And it's different type of audience. Yes. You know. Yeah, I, I want to sort of delve a little bit deeper into maybe the expectations that you had. What were you looking for within an orchestra that you then found in the LPO? During my study in the beginning, training is, you know, when we were in college, you're training is studying a lot of solo repertoires and uh, this and that. Even when you play in the orchestra, there's no kind of a strict training for how you trained to play in the orchestra, what sort of sound you should play in the mm. orchestra. It's, it's quite different from the soloistic and uh, how you play among 16 people or 12 people, 14 people in the section. Mm. So that took a long time to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even, you know, get into the audition mood, you know, how yeah. to play in audition. And it's, it took a long time to, to get the right sound and uh, how to play so clean and uh, you know so quiet and rich sound or how pianissimo you could do it yes. in the string section so my colleagues very tolerant so <laughs> when I joined just um, they helped me a lot how to you know just carry me yeah all these years to to learn a lot and Hugh, I've, your CV of orchestras that you've played within is is very, very immense and impressive, be it from Australia and then you've come here. And I liked the way you, you stated once that you worked your way through the UK from the north down. Um, so you really have experienced a wealth of different orchestras and a wealth of different ways that, sure. um, that you can play within them. How did that audition process for the LPO compare to other experiences that you'd had? You can kind of separate continents into how they audition things. In Australia, we're much more like the European system um, or the American system, which is where you turn up on the day and you play through the first round of auditions and then they cut the amount of people down and you do a second round and then sometimes a third or even a fourth round. And wow. it gets down to one person who's then given a really long trial, let's say six months or one year. Or my friend just a couple of days ago got a trial for the Berlin Philharmonic and it's a two-year trial that he has to go <gasps> and do, which is incredible. Oh, no. So, you know, you have to dress well and comb your hair every day for two years. And <laughs> <laughs> Not let people know what you really like, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but you've got to be on your best behaviour. Um, and here in, in the UK, it's completely different where, as Ninka was saying, it's you turn up to an audition and I find you might play for five minutes, at the, the shortest that I've done, and maybe 15 minutes for the longest. And you're playing on your own and, and you kind of actually have quite a nice chat with a panel, I find, in the UK. The people who are listening to you and judging you, they say, how are you? What's up? Where do you come from? And in Australia, they never do that. It's complete silence. You're sometimes behind a screen even and you can't wow. see anybody. So for the LPO, I just played for about 10 minutes and I met everyone in the double bass section and they I shook hands with everybody. It was really quite friendly. And they at the end, they said, oh, do you feel like playing this excerpt or that one? And I said, oh, I think I'd prefer to play that one. I said, OK, fine, you do that. And it was really just they tried to make me comfortable, oh, wow. which was quite unusual, I found, actually. And um, yeah, and that was it. And then I had to come in and trial and there were several other people who were on trial as well. And I think that's a big part of the ethos of London orchestras in general and the LPO is that they often find people who fit, who are just right for the job. 
And how does it compare Yang to China then to audition for an orchestra? Is there a major difference between there and here? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, because in China, after you graduate from conservatoire, you will guarantee you have a job in the orchestra. Oh. It doesn't matter, you know, the top one or the, uh, the provincial one, you, you will get a job. But here it's like, uh, you know, first time I learned, it's like so many freelance musicians. What's that? You know, when I come to London, it's like so <laughs> many of them and they all fantastic musicians. They are so quick. You know, they can just come in and, and just play. And for last minute, mm. oh, that surprised me how London musicians or international you know, musicians living in London, how quick they pick it up, yes. things, and just do it. So that's really given me a really a shock in the beginning. So I don't think, uh, you know, it could survive in London, you could survive anywhere, I think. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to put it. I saw a little, little yeah. look of surprise there on you when you said, you know, after after studying in China, you get a job. Sounds that's great. like, Ooh, we've all chosen the yeah, wrong country. You're surprised, yeah. right? Yeah, you're guaranteed. You're guaranteed. Yeah, yeah exactly. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love touring actually in Australia, Hugh. I, I I could just imagine living there. I love the the lifestyle. I love how everybody embraces culture and, and music. So uh, what was it like coming from, I mean, you've been in Sydney, Adelaide. What is it like being in Australia to then coming to London? Is it as vibrant or does it feel more vibrant to you? Sydney was a great place to grow up and I love it. And it's definitely, I feel it as a, a home of where I come from. And at the same time, it was somewhere when I walked into work, I was surrounded by tourists, which is fine, but it didn't have a very local vibe in a way to me until you got way out into the suburbs. And the city was a place of commerce and of tourism, and it was expensive and it was pretty. And I really feel like London, it's a city that lives. It's not a place just for tourists and it's mm. its not just a place for beauty. It's also got some really grimy edges. It's got hard work. It's got excitement. And its I really love the pace of life here. And there are lots of people that it, it wears down. But for me and in this job, it's something that really gets me excited and wakes me up, except when I'm finishing a recording or rehearsal at 9pm and I'm waiting in the middle of winter at London Bridge. I can, I could do without that (laughs) in the rain. Apart from that, I really like it. And Ninka, all of those amazing sort of efforts to follow one's dreams and, you know, do what, what you want to do and what you need to do. What about the personal side of things that the family ties, the friends that you leave behind, people that you've met along the way that you would then leave or meet other people? Is it hard on the personal side of things? Yeah, absolutely. That's the hardest part of living abroad and working abroad and working in music, I suppose. The thing is, you don't make a conscious decision when you start this process. It sort of happens like you were saying. You you see how far it goes. But the hardest thing is not being able to go back to family and old friends as quickly as you would like to. Especially, I think the pandemic has shown that more. I used to think, oh, it's only a 40-minute plane journey whenever I want and that suddenly isn't the case anymore but obviously I'm still lucky to have my family closer than some of my colleagues and in terms of workloads with with orchestra it definitely lots of sacrifices because lots of tours and I have to 
primary school children who often I can't put to bed, of course, and uh, the timings are often very unsociable when you have friends locally, barbecue on a Sunday, now we're rehearsing or recording. Um, obviously, there are lots of sacrifices and that's for, that applies to all of us. Um, yeah. But we're all still here and finding it worth it. And I think especially after this pandemic, um, where you have a lot of time to think, well, yeah. maybe this is the moment just go and do something else um and I well for me personally I came back and that moment that we started to play again it was such an it was such an emotional thing and it was such an affirmation actually of, of what we do the energy of everyone around us we all held in but I think you felt how much everyone had missed it and the sound around us and we've painted a very sort of um Happy, splendid, positive picture. What are some of the challenges that you find with working here in the UK as opposed to anywhere else in the world? Uh, Ninka, what would you say? Yeah, I think, again, it would be the pace of work and the relentlessness in a full season I'm talking about, the unsociable hours and I suppose also the prices of London. For people who, who, who join us now, I've been lucky to have joined a while ago but prices have risen so much and it's very challenging to settle now in London. So that is a real problem. Like for many other professions, you know, you, you want to live reasonably close to where you work. So that's a real challenge, I would say. And Yang, is there anything you'd like to add there? I can see lots of nodding. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we try to encourage ourselves, you know, come to work. You were, you know, like what Ninka said, we hardly see friends, you know, we're missing our weekend with family and this and that. So we all try to compensate, come to work, having a good time as well. Yes. Right, Ninka? Absolutely. <laughs> Have a nice chat and a nice coffee. <laughs> yes, we try to do our best. I mean, London, I agree, you know, whatever you go is very expensive. Traveling, eating out, you know, it's a great place to explore everything, but it is an expensive city to live with. Mm. So yeah, lots, lots of Tupperwares to this year. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good planning. <laughs> Thermos. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Hugh, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of surprising things uh, living here and um, working here in the UK or anything challenging that you face? Uh, I agree with everything that Yang and Ninka have said. It's London orchestras have some really harsh conditions. I mean, whether you say that's the amount of time we work or the amount that we get paid to do that work or the amount of time that you're away from home on tour, it's all well and fun and good. But, I, you know, I moved here three years ago and the idea of buying a house is pretty distant for me. And so, you know, I share a house with three other people and I'm lucky we like it's incredible that we have a spare room which I could just fit a double bass in and practice. (laughs) I mean, that's that's an incredible luxury for London. It's hard. I mean, I in Australia, for example, if you're in an orchestra, you would you would get paid a salary, you'd get your insurance for an instrument paid, you'd get your um, tails. They buy you new tails every few years. I mean. If I'd stayed in Australia, I could have had a very, very good quality of life, I guess. But the work is worth it. In fact, it's just so much fun to play with my orchestra. And there's there's a certain camaraderie, I think, attached with being in the same boat as all your colleagues. We all face mm. the same challenges. I, I don't think anyone lives in a mansion. No one's driving a BMW. It's all We're all doing the same thing, getting on the train at uh, nine o'clock at night in the rain at London Bridge. And we all know yeah. what it's like. And so I think it 
brings us together in a big way. Not to put a dampener on proceedings, but you've highlighted, you know, the major change that happens when, for example, we've gone through a year of a pandemic. As freelance musicians as well, that also means that when we're not working, the checks aren't coming in in the same way. On the horizon, dare I say it, there is also Brexit. Is that something that has sort of played on your minds as as a musician within the orchestra? Or is it something that you just think it will happen and, you know, we'll always bounce back? Um, I saw a little shake there, Yang, so I'm going to go to you first. For, for musicians, for orchestra, as international orchestra, we're depending on travelling abroad so much. Yeah. You know, each year we go to Europe and go to Asia, America, Australia even sometimes, you know. But now, I don't know. I'm no you know, very optimistic to, to see this, what happened in the future. I don't know how much we will change in the next two years for touring. And it's it's become so difficult for our track to travel Yes, through the Dover and the go goes to Calais and there's how many checks they will make and uh, how many days the track will go mm. and with our instrument. It's a lot of details, you know. Everything's in big question mark. Yeah. I guess, you know, throughout this story, we see the resilience of musicians, Mm. be it moving country, be it changing cultures, be it being on trial and not being successful. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's something that we as musicians will be able to overcome, get used to, carry on with, Ninka? We have to make it work somehow, but we're also very dependent on what our government will do to help Mm. musicians and performing artists in general as a lot of our livelihood depends on working abroad and going from country to country so obviously if we always need a permit and we need to ask for that permit two months in advance yes and we need to have a carnet for our instruments and we normally have a concert in cologne and then in in madrid and then in athens and then amsterdam it's not going to work so Mm. Obviously, as it is, it's not going to work. So the government will have to do something and hopefully Europe will be patient and hopefully something would need to be worked out, like some kind of musician's passport or, mm. or performer's performing passport. Mm. Uh, because, you know, and this is not just classical music. This is uh, all performing arts, any concerts, any uh, DJs. This is how everyone works. The, the work is partly in the UK, partly in Europe, partly all over the world. It's unworkable for yeah. our for our industry. Uh, and does it sort of make you think any different to your future trajectory, Hugh? Or do you think that you know it will it will sort itself out and we'll we'll figure it out? Do you feel stable at the moment? I come at it from the perspective of an Australian who, whenever I came to the UK, I had to get uh, visas, different types of visas. When I joined the LPO, they sponsored me. And then mm. when I was working with some orchestras throughout Europe, I was having to get visas for every country I went to, which I can tell you, especially, actually, I won't name names, but some of the warmer <laughs> climate countries down the south in Europe are impossible to deal it's with. I, time, I, got invited to do, I got invited to do a festival in, in Italy not that long ago, and I ended up taking 90 pages of documents, including passport photos of the festival director, including all this stuff. And they, at the end of the day, I was not granted a working visa to do four days of playing in Italy at a festival. That's, that's how tough it is. And I think 
in a way, I know how difficult it is. And it, imagine trying to get visas for several different countries in a row when sometimes your passport is stuck in an embassy for yes. you don't know if it's going to be a week or a month or two months, which sometimes it is. And so I had two Australian passports so I could take them to different <laughs> different embassies to get stamps put in them. And I actually have the feeling that no one understands just how bad it's going to be for our industry, how, how horrible Brexit is really going to be. It's easy to say it's just a stamp and all this kind of stuff. But as Yang says, it's the details that when you really consider that you cannot get enough visas in, in enough time in order to go on tour, I mean, let alone while your passport's stuck in an embassy wanting to go on holiday somewhere. So, OK, you can't go on holiday anymore because you're waiting for a work visa. All this kind of stuff. Um it does, yes, it does make me think about what would it be like to work in Europe. Um, I actually was lucky via descendancy to get an Austrian passport lately. Well done. And I, oh, I do nice. sometimes think, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's going to make yeah. my life a whole lot easier to work in Europe. And the fact that you can just get the train around and not deal with these bureaucratic nightmares. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that being said, I love my orchestra and I love the way we work. But yeah, it's definitely food for thought when I think of all the challenges that Brexit's going to put in front of us. It's not going to make anything better, that's for sure. Put into perspective as well, you know, we've spoken about the family, the personal aspect, the the hours that we have to put in, but the logistics of working in the UK coming in from, from another country is something to consider as well. A quick fire question to you all, actually. Harking back to when you were studying and, you know, you'd made that choice that music was for you. Mm-hmm. Did you always see yourself in an orchestra or was there another potential career option, be it inside or outside of music, that you also had considered? Uh, I'll go to you first, Yang. I mean, I I will see myself always working in the, um, you know, this sort of industry, you know, even I'm not a violin player, maybe I like to do some pop music. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, that was when I was young, but not, not anymore now. So I don't see myself doing anything else. I feel very lucky that I did end up going down this road. But when I was 18, I wasn't sure at all. In fact, I enrolled for psychology for a year in the University in Leiden. Yes. And did my first year there. Really enjoyed it, but it was heavy together with the violin. Mm. And I felt very much that... If I wanted to be a violinist, I, I couldn't really afford to do anything else next to it because it just takes up all of you. So I went to the conservatory in The Hague. And then three years later, I started to each again. I did three months of law. Wow. Again, at Leiden University. At that time in, in the Netherlands, you could study for free. And I was living in a student's house. I, I was a bit scared to being amongst musicians. <laughs> I just pestered my uh, university students around me. We were 12 in a house, in a student house, all day with my practice. They must have hated me. I did that for three months, then again realized that I found it really, really interesting, but somehow music pulled me yeah. again. I would have been much richer, possibly, <laughs> having done law, but uh, yeah. And Hugh, was there any ever a time where you thought it would be something else or was it always music? And was it always in an orchestra in this genre of music? Because I know you play more than uh, within an orchestra. I would spend every lunchtime and every after school playing jazz with my friends and I loved playing jazz. But I kind of had an idea in my head, especially in Australia, that there's almost no no chance of making a living doing that. So I, I knew that in the back of my head, but I loved doing it. And 
I started up rock bands and I had a great time. I, I would have loved to have been a rock star. I still would <laughs> if anyone's looking for a rock star. It's never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> um, but I finished school and I thought about uh, doing something like medicine or, I don't know, economics at university. I was kind of interested in those sort of things. But my, my double bass teacher, he said to me, if you don't do music now, you'll probably never do it again. Like, it's pretty hard. Mm. It's something that's hard to put down and then pick up and become elite. Yes. And so I said, okay, fine. You know, look, I'll just, I'll just start off by doing music at university and give it a go. I just kind of did it for, I think about six months. And I did a, I got a wedding gig and I went to this wedding and I played at the wedding and I got $50. And I thought, this is great. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm making money already. <laughs> like if I was studying economics, I'd, I'd be nowhere near a paycheck. And so I just kind of kept getting more and more and more gigs and enjoying it more and more. And it's actually something that I become more passionate about Every day I do it. I love mm. music more because it's something that, especially in orchestra, it's so complex to me, you know, playing like, let's say, a Strauss tone poem. It's, it has so many moving parts. And I I just found I, I didn't know anything about it when I was younger. And the more I come to understand about it, the more I enjoy it and the easier I find it. And yeah, I, I more and more, I think I couldn't do anything else because I like it just the mentality of a musician. It's more than I like music or I enjoy playing the instrument. It's something that comes from within, you know, it's an energy, it's a part of you that actually you have to do it. It's not an option. And so when I hear about like auditions, changing country, just moving and upping sticks, and you don't even know if it's a sure thing, you're going for a trial, those kind of sacrifices, if you like, are just all part and parcel of being a musician. Am I am I correcting something up in that way, Yang? Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, our job, you know, it's like an addict. Mm. You know, I, I could put this word, it's like really addictive. Well, thank you all for sharing your journeys and sharing your personal experiences as well. Um, it's lovely to hear from the beginning through to getting the dream job in your dream chair. So uh, congratulations to you all and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank Thanks you, so Yolanda. Thank you. Bye, Yolanda. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Yang Zhang, Hugh Kluger and Ninka Hilkemer for their insight into what it's like coming to the UK to work as a musician in London. Thank you so much for listening and do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage. See you soon.